Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Transatlantic Crime. Taking his first Facebook picture. <laughs> a dad oh, hey, figuring hey. out how to FaceTime his children. Just opening your phone and seeing <laughs> the underneath of your chin. Always unnecessary and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how's it going, mate? Oh, pretty good. I am glad the week is yeah. over. How about you? Yeah, I know. This week was tough and I don't know why. Like I was honestly for the last two nights I fell asleep at nine thirty with no like sleep aid. Wow. Just just fell asleep. Yeah, it was mental. That sounds amazing. Oh, it is. Mercury's got to be in retrograde or something, mate. It's always <laughs> That's the case. That's the answer for all Constantly. of weird things happening in life. It's just Mercury. Um, also, as a Virgo, Mercury is my um, like planet, apparently. Really? Oh. Yeah. Do you know what yours is? No. Let me find what, out. What star sign are you? You're a Taurus, aren't you? Yes, I am a Taurus. Venus. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> sexy. Um, do you know what your your moon and rising signs are? Uh, yeah, my my sun sign. What your sun sign is like? Is your sun sign your main one? Yes. I don't know. So anyway, Virgo, so I'm, I'm Virgo is your sun. With, yeah, and then I've got Pisces as my like rising. Okay. Which is like why I'm like. Have you ever seen that meme that's like? me when I'm angry and then me when I'm apologizing for being angry <laughs> so it's like a cat that's like furious and then a cat that's crying yes <laughs> like Pisces are very emotional like, uh that's my yeah, moon I'm like I hate you oh I'm like I hate you and then I'm like I'm sorry <laughs> yeah um yeah I've got Taurus sun Pisces moon and Leo rising Ooh, what does that mean I don't know. show off <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> we haven't got we have got time for this. Yeah. This, this is not this kind of podcast. I do love it though. I love all that shit. And yeah. it always like every single guy is like, Oh, we don't know why you believe in that and I'm like, Oh, typical Gemini not believing <laughs> <laughs> just to wind them up. Yeah, you're love. the one who put me onto the pattern app, which kind of matches up with all of that stuff it's very accurate yeah any of our listeners if you're into that stuff then look up the pattern app Mm -hmm. become friends with us we'll see if how well we match up together yeah you can like join up with other people can't you that have it yeah it's Mm -hmm. pretty cool and see like how good friends you are yeah again doesn't sponsor us no we should be we shouldn't be talking about this unless they give us some money pattern um, app please give us money we, we will talk about you all day i would gladly yeah. do that okay so who goes first this week okay we're getting straight you, into it. it so it's me so this is part two of our mess up from last week so i thought we were doing hitmen and you thought we were doing Scientology. yes 
And mate, I'm not joking. This week I have been to say I've been in a Scientology hole would be a light description. Yes. I've been listening nonstop to the Leah Remini Fair Game yes. podcast. Fucking loving it's it. It's good, right? It's so oh, it's such a good podcast. Yeah. And then like last night I'm at the guy that I'm seeing's house and I, I was like I need to watch this Scientology program for research. <laughs> and he was like, okay, like, let me watch it. It was on his Now TV. And like, I was like, oh, no, we can't watch it because it's like a Hulu. So I'm like a Hulu channel. Yeah. So you have to pay extra. And I was like, oh, we can't watch it. And then like, I accidentally pressed a button and I swear to God it was an accident. <laughs> and it just like signed him up oh, no. for Hulu. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> I guess we can watch it now. <laughs> yeah exactly that he was like i went out the room for two seconds (laughs) oh no so you watched it though right yeah and i was like just talking at his face what was it what was the show uh it was scientology the aftermath oh okay yeah but it's on it's like third season now or something yeah leah remini's aftermath Yeah, yeah leah remini and mike rinder yeah the first one we watched was about they were talking to Jehovah's Witnesses and that was really boring. And then he was like, this is really, this is a bit boring. And I was like, don't worry, I'll get a good one. And then, then we got into the good stuff. Okay. Like where people are being punched in the face. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> the exciting part. Um, Since we're already talking about Scientology, I'll tell you all the things that people were telling me after listening to our episode. Mm. So... I had, oh my god. So my friend, I forgot to mention this last time too. You know how last week I was too drunk to record and <laughs> <laughs> best best video ever. Oh yeah, I was still waiting for your permission to like put it. I'm so glad you put it in the episode. <laughs> so good. Um I'm also wondering um if oh. I can put it on Instagram. <laughs> Um, maybe wait a little bit. No, too far, too far. <laughs> maybe okay. in stories, but not on the grid. All right, then. I'll put it oh on Oh, my stories. gosh. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. You don't want me to. Put I'll a do. filter on my face or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I'll keep it for my personal collection. Or oh, we'll put it on Patreon. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. If you want to see the video. Sure. <laughs> It's only like a minute. It's less than a minute. Well, everyone heard it if you listened to last week's episode. Best minute of my life. <laughs> yeah, go um, on. But anyways, my friend that I was out with, she's a dancer and she's a performer. And she told me that she performed at the Scientology Celebrity Center. Oh, my God. Yeah. She said it was a really weird experience. And they kept trying to like recruit all the dancers and she just got out there as fast as she could. And she didn't know until Shit. she got there that it was Scientology. Uh, what? So the invitation didn't say address Scientology No, Center. it was like a ve- it was just like the venue address and she didn't know. Oh man. Um, it's such a like overwhelming building as well. It like is. When you get there, you'd be like, holy shit. Yeah. Stomach drops as soon as you see it. Oh, terrible. Um, Someone else told me that in Ireland, they had a friend who was paid a lot of money to translate a bunch of Scientology literature into Irish. They're trying to get... Who's reading that? (laughs) 
trying to get you. They're trying to get everyone in the all different ways. Any which way. Yeah. Who is reading that, I wonder? There's so many words, though, that, like, wouldn't translate. It's like, so in, true. Like, Welsh is a really old language. Yeah. I was, to- I was telling my yeah, friend the other it. day about Welsh and how, like, more modern words, uh, when they bring it into the Welsh language, they just replace the vowels with Ws. I'm sure I'll get yelled at by a Welsh person, but (laughs) it's true. (laughs) It is. It's just fucking old. Yeah. So Irish hasn't really like Gaelic does that as well. It's like if you know, like a new word, like in Scientology, like Thetan. What would that be in Gaelic? They just put a little thing above the Thetan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cavy language. That's fine, but it's just. It's all bollocks anyway, so it doesn't really matter what language you read in. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to hear your story. So, okay. Well, shall we get into it? I'm first, right? Yeah. Or did you have any other yeah. Scientology stories? No, I'll try and cover it all in my story. Otherwise, I'll get excited to give stuff away. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. All right. Talissa, you are going to love this one. Yeah? I know it's one of your favorite things to... Uh, watch on tv and it's very similar <gasps> Ooh, okay this is the story of thomas patera aka tommy karate ah oh by the way like i know that we explained the scientology part but i'm doing famous hitmen so thomas patera was born december 2nd 1954 to joseph and Catherine patera he was the second of two children his older sister's name was Teresa. In all of my research, she never popped up again. So, Teresa, I hope you're doing probably, great. Probably best probably best for her. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just stay out of the way. Yeah. He grew up in Gravesend, Brooklyn, New York, where his dad was a candy salesman. And I love that they kept this in the Wikipedia information. Uh, his dad was a candy salesman that sold Mary Janes, Pixie Sticks, Red Hots, Lemon Drops, and Bazooka Bubblegum. Not relevant. Fucking hell. <laughs> Specific. Yeah. Um, also, Mary Janes were else. gross. They were the worst thing to get in your Halloween bag. What are they? It's like peanut butter taffy. Super old-fashioned. Bit like a Werther's Original. No, Werther's Originals taste good. Oh, okay. These were like... They were so cheap and like <laughs> that's what the, you would that's what the cheap people would get on Halloween because they're like twenty five cents for a bag and like eating filler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> peanut slightly peanut butter flavored filler. Okay, gross. So Patera was known to be a small and quiet child, and he was bullied quite a lot for his high pitched voice. He had a high pitched voice throughout his whole oh, life. That's really unfortunate. Yeah. So well, you could just put on a lower pitch voice. <laughs> that would be I was just really about to hard you to do maintain. About it, but there is. <laughs> You'd forget, and people yeah. would be like, "What? <laughs> yeah. You okay, Tommy?" Yeah. So yeah, he was bullied because of his high pitch voice in high school. He wanted to join the varsity baseball team uh, because he, wa- when he grew up, he wanted to be a professional baseball player. But because mm-hmm. he had no friends and was routinely beaten up by bullies, he was ostracized oh, from the hell. team. So they didn't even let him onto the Bull team. Bastard. I know. There's a really good A&E episode about him and they were like, he just got beat up every day and he would run home crying. How do they know that? Oh my God. 
What a life. I know. Kids are so horrible. Yeah. School was horrible, wasn't it? Like, yeah, especially in the 60s. I mean, racism, uh, anything, classism. So, something wrong with your shirt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, you've got a oh, weird you've tooth. Got so, like, you've got something on your back. Yeah. <laughs> something <laughs> on your back. A weird tooth. Just, you were just victimized for... You were always on guard. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So he was beaten up a lot. He was ostracized from the varsity baseball team. He took revenge by stealing the team's equipment and he sold them to a fence. Do you know what a fence is in like gang terms? Well, I I know what a fence is generally. (laughs) (laughs) A fence is a term or a word for like somebody who gets stolen goods and then resells them like oh i got this out of, off the back of a truck okay. that's what a fence is in like yeah yeah terms. we 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 say oh it fell off the back of a lorry yeah again yeah. i thought it literally meant that <laughs> <laughs> no it's a metaphor for, for someone yes. stole it but I'm... i didn't realize that for a very long time yeah uh, I'm pretty sure I was in the same boat for a long time until probably yeah. very recently. Yeah. Because it's also kind of fun to imagine something just falling off the back of a truck. Well, it's far less sinister. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, what, what a stroke of good luck. Yeah. Some goods that I needed. <laughs> <laughs> They're in perfect condition right. and not covered in tarmac and dents. Exactly. <laughs> he was soon arrested for burglary for that and charged as a juvenile. Nothing really happened with that. He moved his interest from becoming a pro baseball player to karate after he became obsessed with the 1966 TV series The Green Hornet, starring martial arts actor Bruce Lee. You've mentioned Woo. Bruce Lee before in one of your stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone's, someone's name, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he changed his name. Changed his name to Bruce Lee. Check, yeah. Check out our episode on arson if you haven't listened to that. Yeah. So he asked yeah. his parents if he could join a karate class and they agreed. So he joined a dojo where he had a daily regimen of working out, lifting weights, and reading about Kyokushin fighting strategies and tactics. And Kyokushin in Japanese is a form of full contact karate. So he was fully getting into it. He's serious. He is. He quickly became one of the top students in his class. He also watched every kung fu film that came out, and he loved violent movies. Like Bruce Lee and other kung fu stars, he grew out his hair past his ears, much to the disapproval of his parents, who didn't want him to look like, in quotes, a hippie. And he had a really high voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now now we're taking the piss. (laughs) I'm sorry, Tommy. I just got caught up in the mob mentality. (laughs) So after he graduated high school, he entered a karate tournament where he won all seven matches. This won him a scholarship to study karate in Japan. His scholarship was for a year, but he stayed in Japan for 27 months, getting a job at a chopstick factory after his scholarship ended. Along with the karate, he trained to use the tanfa nunchucks and katanas so tanfa is like the wooden thing that kind of goes along your forearm that they hold okay and then nunchucks everyone knows what nunchucks are and yeah katana 
is like a sword, the samurai sword, basically. Wow. Uh, so he trained to use all of those. He also immersed himself in all aspects of Japanese culture, studying everything from diet to faith to discipline. He must have been really good at Japanese by that point. Yeah, I think he just, uh, he, he was really serious about it. And I think you'll find that after we talk about him that he's a little bit of a, well, he's not a little bit of a, he is a psychopath. So right. <laughs> I feel like once a psychopath gets serious about something, they get really good at it. Yeah. So all of this built up his ego and he began to see himself as invincible. When he returned to Brooklyn in 1976 at 22 years old, despite his still high-pitched voice, his new demeanor, <laughs> uh, and I put in uh, little brackets and rock solid abs because... <laughs> I saw so many things. I'm back. <laughs> yeah. So many things that I read and watched were like, he came back and he was just pure iron, just all muscle. <laughs> He's just been eating sushi yeah. and rice and seaweed. Like, chopping stuff in half. Right. <laughs> so it made him someone to be feared in the neighborhood. He already knew what he wanted to do. He headed straight to the local bar where mob members were known to spend time at. He made friends with a Bonanno mob member. So have you heard of the Bonanos? No, okay. Kind of like it. I don't know if it's because it's AAM and I feel like I'm going mad, but I feel like you just made that up. Like, I, I, just... I've never heard of them before this either. It sounds like Bonanno. I'm saying banana really poshly. Banana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, can I have a banana? Yes. It's spelled B-O-N-A-N-N-O. Fine. Okay. No, I haven't heard of them. Well, <laughs> they're on par with the Gambinos and John Gotti and all the yeah. all those mob people. They were another big mob family. Okay. So he made friends with Bonanno mob member Anthony Bruno Indelicato. And not long after, Patera became his protege. Pro I can't say that word right now. Protege. protege. Yes. So he was making runs for Indelicato and he was distributing heroin. He also became Indelicato's oh, strong arm for when people didn't pay up. He used his karate skills to rough up anyone the Bonanno family asked him to, earning him the nickname Tommy Karate. Nice. Mm -hmm. Imaginative. <laughs> To be fair, I have to refer to the person that I'm seeing as Hot Tub Tom because I've got a brother called Tom and everyone's like, which Tom do you mean? <laughs> and then my brother Tom got a hot tub and I was like, come on, man. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you please start calling him one of them Tommy Karate? Yeah, all right then. <laughs> Give him that. <laughs> yeah, all right. So Indelicato was also the go-to guy for hits. With his name, so Indelicato, his nickname was Whack Whack. Whack Whack and Tommy oh, Karate. What is the leader of this gang? Five. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a leader. He was just like Whack Whack. Hey, go call Whack Whack to make another whack. Wow. What a code. <laughs> really imaginative names, but very on the nose. No wonder the, no wonder the FBI were flummoxed. <laughs> So Whack Whack, he had that nickname because he had killed so many people for the bon 
Bonanos. He took Tommy Karate under his wing and showed him the best way to hide a murder, which was dismembering the body and putting it in suitcases. Tommy, wanting to move up in the mob family, again immersed himself, this time into the art of murder. He studied books on dissection, murder, and how to mutilate bodies. He owned a book series called How to Kill that described all the different ways to kill and hide bodies. Where are all these books? Why haven't we read them? <laughs> I'll see if we can uh, put them on the book list. I don't know oh, if they're don't. banned like Mein Kampf. <laughs> yeah. Like who's uh, actually reading them? Do you know that's really funny? I thought about that yesterday about the fact that I kind of want to read Mein Kampf just to say that I've read it. And then I was like, can you imagine just going to the till with it? Like, hello? No. <laughs> it's not going to look good, is it? No. It's going to like, and it's going to fuck up all your like your internet history. Like you're going to get suggestions for sure. Like, I don't. Also, if anyone comes to your house and sees that on your bookshelf, Talissa. I know. This, to be clear, Talissa is what? not a Nazi or a white supremacist. Not at all. Not, not at all. I think white men are awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kind of want to read Mein Kampf just to... But then it will just be the ramblings of a madman. Yeah, exactly. Like, a cocaine-fueled madman. Yeah, yeah. Drugged up. Maniac. I wonder if Tommy Karate read that. He probably did. He sounds like a reader. Mm -hmm. So at 24 years old, he was ready for his first hit. The Bonanno family gave him the contract. He received an envelope with a name, photo, and location of a person. He didn't know who it was. Patera tracked him down a street in Brooklyn, walked up to him, and shot him, and then walked away. Soon after, and nothing happened. He wasn't caught or mm -hmm. anything. Uh, soon after, okay. he was made a member of the Bonanno crime family. So he was in. And he. Did you know that when you get into the mob, you have to go through a whole ritual? And yeah. you have to like burn a saint card and yeah. cut your finger. Mate, I've watched The Sopranos. <laughs> uh, yeah, of but course. I didn't. Like, I didn't think that was real. But I guess it is. Yeah. I trust David Chase <laughs> and his artistic license completely. He yeah. would not fuck me around. No, he's not a liar. Nope. Um, so he was accepted into the crime family. He was given a crew of drug dealers and started making more money for himself and for the Bananos. When members of his crew didn't pay up or listen to the family, Patero would decide it was time for him to go. If he felt someone knew too much about him, he would decide that it was time for that person to go. If he was suspicious about someone being a rat, again... He would decide that it was their time to go. Mm. And Seems a bit trigger happy. Yeah. He would even murder other gangs' drug dealers so that he could steal their goods. So he was going to like the African-American gangs or the Indian gangs or whatever. Like there was no nothing that he wouldn't touch basically, um, including yeah. women. Which is a big mob oh. no no. Yeah, it is, yeah. Which we'll talk about in a second. So, his reputation as a cold blooded killer extended to other mob families, including the Gambinos, whose member Edward Lino had allegedly called Patera to help him on a hit on an informant. So, he was even being called by other gangs to come do hits because he was just so cold. Yeah, that's good. So, he wasn't just a killer. 
He was methodical in how to dispose of the bodies. And if you don't like gruesome stuff, then fast forward like maybe like a minute because there's a lot of stuff I'm about to talk about. (laughs) Fast forward 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So his murders were usually accompanied by a special toolkit that he made that helped him in dismembering. He would place a body in a bathtub, let the blood drain out. An eyewitness who who saw him murder a man called Talal Siksik, an eyewitness told the author of this book that he saw Patera kill someone. The book is called The Butcher, Anatomy of a Mafia Psychopath. And so this is what he saw Patera do with the man's body, Mm -hmm. in quotes. He walked to the bathroom, got undressed, neatly folding his clothes. Then, without a second thought, he got in the tub with the body. He turned on the water in a steady flow so the blood would be immediately washed down the drain. Without hesitation, I'm sorry, Patera proceeded to remove Talal's head, arms, and legs. When the body was in six pieces, Patera calmly put what was left of Talal inside the trunk. With that, he turned up the force of the water, washing down the remnants of the blood. He then took a long, careful shower got out of the bathtub, and casually began to dry himself. Uh, In that instance, he drove the body to the William T. Davis Wildlife Refuge on Staten Island, where he and his crew buried the suitcase that held the dismembered body parts. He used the Wildlife Refuge to ensure the bodies were not discovered during construction projects. So that was, like, his spot to go all the time. I get that, but, like, I think putting something in a suitcase is like a surefire way to suggest human involvement. Whereas like if he just buried the bits of the body, you could say like, oh, they went out hiking or make it look more like an accident, maybe? I don't but I guess suitcases are easy to transport in. Yeah, and bury. She must have gone through a lot of suitcases. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he did go through a lot of suitcases. And I think in this guy's case he was very clean in how he dismembered bodies so it could never be considered an accident because he was he was a psychopath he he was just super methodical in and did it in the correct in quotes correct way so that it was very clean and neat um which i find very interesting also like even if you like you're having a shower in the same bath that you just cut a body up in, that there, there just be fucking blood everywhere. Yeah, like you just don't. It gets everywhere, even if you like cut your finger, or like cut your toe right. or something. Like it, it just gets fucking everywhere. Like a week later, you'd be like, oh my god, like <laughs> there's a little spot of blood there. Right. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And that's why I think like it's a whole body. He's definitely a psychopath that he could get into a tub with a dead body and do all of this and then just shower off afterwards and go on to the next thing yeah oh oh, yeah also like with the like if you have watched the sopranos if you haven't what the fuck are you doing go and watch it now (laughs) they because the mob is so big they don't want to get you on like one murder charge yes they want to get you on something they want to get someone who's like like if he got taken out mm-hmm. that he would 
just simply get replaced right. by another hitman. Right. So there's no point unless they want to get him and try and make him flip and tell them everything, mm-hmm. which is really frowned upon. Like if you're caught by the FBI and offered a deal, you have to just take the prison time. Yeah. Well, like, and we'll, come, we'll, we'll come talk out in 30 about years. That. Like, <laughs> We're going to ah, get into that. Okay. So where was I? Okay, so he buried them in the wildlife refuge. He also used the Staten Island graveyard to bury bodies because he believed that the damp soil would accelerate decomposition. He always insisted on burying corpses deep enough so that the police dogs could not locate their scents. And before burying the bodies, he either wrapped them in plastic or, like we mentioned, put them in suitcases. Burying shit in a graveyard. Perfect plan. Yeah. So clever. By the early 1980s, he had married, had a child, and then soon divorced. Nothing more about them either. They must be completely disconnected from him. Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> so by now, he's he's made like pretty good amount of money. He invested some of the money in two bars, the Cypress Bar and Grill, and the Just Us Bar, which he used as his headquarters, which just reminds me of the Sopranos Bada Bing strip club. If you look up a picture of Just Us Bar, it's like the same kind of like jovial woman. writing kind of. <laughs> it's like, you know, like jovial. two dice, <laughs> like happy yeah, writing. Yeah. Just Us Bar. So what well, the bars weren't strip clubs. They were just bars. I like, don't know. I think prob- maybe Just Us I Bar I guess they was. were like money laundering, aren't they? Yeah. That's what they're primarily for is so you can say... Right. This is where all my money comes from. Right, exactly. Soon after his divorce, he met a woman named Celeste Lapari. Celeste was fine with Patera's lifestyle. The only issue was that she was addicted to drugs. Patera hated this, obviously because he sold drugs and saw what it did to people. He went out of his way and intimidated all of the local drug dealers and warned them to stay away from Celeste and to not sell her any drugs. Man, that would be terrifying. That's one way. Yeah. (laughs) Just reminds me of The Simpsons where like Bart's not allowed to watch the Itchy and Scratchy movie. Oh, yeah. And and Homer goes and puts posters on every cinema (laughs) being like, do not sell to this boy. So good. Yeah, that's that's what Patera did. But it worked to an extent. Celeste had a friend named Phyllis Birdie. Who got the drugs for her, and they often partied and got say, high just together. Get your mate to do it. Yeah, like, that's really naive. <laughs> that's somebody that doesn't take drugs, <laughs> right? I know that's their attitude. So yeah, they those two girls would get high and party together. Patera told them to stop hanging out, and they did around him. But behind his back, Celeste and Phyllis would still hang out on September. Of course, yeah, they're friends. Like te- they're like teenage girls. <laughs> what like, I mean, that is early so teenagery. I mean, mid twenties. You're still kind of being a little bit teenagery sometimes. Yeah. You're still hanging on to like, it. I think, yeah. Like in your mid twenties, you go, you don't go. Someone's telling me what to do. Yeah, that's not good. Right. Get rid of them. Yeah. You go. I'll just lie about I'm what I'm just doing. Gonna sneak around <laughs> instead. That's easier. I want, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep the shit person and then just sneak yeah. around and lie anyway. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now, if someone told me what to do, I go fuck off. Right. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so on September 10th, 1987, Celeste and Phyllis began partying in a Brooklyn bar and they went back to Phyllis's apartment. Celeste shot up some heroin to fall asleep. They had been doing coke and she needed something to help her sleep. She never woke up from that. Oh, dear. Patera was informed of Celeste's death by one of his closest friends, Frank Ganji, who was dating Phyllis. So they were both okay. dating these two girls. Uh, Patera right. did not hold back. And after Phyllis and Frank Ganji partied for two days, I feel like they knew what was coming. So they just went and went on a bender for two days. Right. So at the end of those two days, Phyllis went back to Frank Ganji's apartment and Patera broke into Ganji's home, shot Phyllis, cover your ears or fast forward again, but shot Phyllis, oh, severed no. her head, dismembered her body and buried oh. the body in his personal cemetery. Like this was personal to him. He kept her what? head in his freezer. Dude. Yeah. He was mad. Oh my God. So Frank Ganji... The guy that told him and who was his best friend, he was arrested not long after on a DUI charge and he was sent to jail. While in jail, he began talking to a detective and was persuaded to become an informant. Up until this point, Patera no. did his best to evade police or federal agents. He would cover his mouth when he went on walk talks with other gangsters uh, he would use evasive tactics when driving his car to a meeting. He would switch cars. He would wear disguises. And he never, ever talked on the phone. But Ganji's eyewitness accounts were what ultimately helped authorities catch Patera. So I wonder how they convinced him. He seemed like he was very much into drugs. He had just seen his girlfriend murdered by his best friend mm. i think he was yeah that's probably what did it at the lowest point of his life and was like where can i go from here there's nowhere <sighs> plus like he might kill me if i get out anyway so fuck it i might as well do the whole witness protection yeah thing. they interviewed him on the a and e thing that i watched Really? Yeah, and they like covered his face and they changed his voice, but he was like, I don't know if I would have... He felt guilty either way. He he was like, I don't like that I turned into a rat, but I also don't no. like that I was a part of murders and that. So he just sounds like a broken man. Yeah, well, you have you have made quite the mess of your life yes. there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, in early June 1990, investigators headed to the Staten Island Wildlife Refuge off of a tip from Ganji. After three days of digging, they found body after body dismembered and buried in plastic bags or suitcases in shallow graves. This was one of the final pieces of evidence that authorities needed to charge Patera. He was arrested on June 4th, 1990 for heading a drug dealing crew. So he was arrested on drug charges as well as his involvement in yeah. seven murders. Investigators alleged that Patera had been involved in as many as 600 murders, but they pinned him on seven. And that's still a respectable amount. Yes. <laughs> in terms of like serial killers. Yes, that's true. Uh, the drugs that he did, that he was charged on, they said that he sold about 220 pounds of cocaine per year, multiple kilos of heroin, and hundreds of pounds of marijuana. 
FBI agents discovered more than 60 automatic weapons, knives, swords, and literature such as the Hitman's Handbook and Kill or Be Killed, (laughs) which dealt primarily with assassination techniques as well as torturing and dismembering cadavers in Patera's apartment in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Investigators also discovered that Patera collected trophies from his victims as they found a stash of jewelry like wedding rings and things like that. And also even small body parts like ears from certain victims. No. He liked keeping trophies. He went to trial. At trial, prosecution fought for Patera to get the death penalty. Ganji testified against Patera, admitting to the many murders he witnessed and that he took part in. He also got a pretty sweet plea deal. Uh, Ganji did for basically spilling the beans on his friend. Um, Mm -hmm. He claimed that seeing his girlfriend's head on the side of a bathtub as Patera dismembered her body was an image that will stay with Ganji forever. Yeah. It's, It's not the one, is it? No. Prosecution also brought up a member of the DEA who was there the day that they dug up the bodies of the wildlife refuge. So they were just bringing up all these people that had witnessed and uh, the DEA agent was like, it was the worst day of my life, basically. Uh. Patera's defense lawyer, David A. Runke, urged the jury to reject the death penalty on the grounds that Patera had no prior criminal record and that other participants in the murders were allowed to plead guilty <laughs> to lesser charges. I don't know how you can fight That's for the a worst mob boss to, that he hasn't had <laughs> other criminal charges against him, probably because he paid off the cops. Uh, I'm too tired to even like... It's, it's, <laughs> unfathomable. Unfathom- un- it's like can't say words today. unfathomable <laughs> fathomable i know it's like we're drunk oh drunk with lack of sleep drunk with life <laughs> just kicking me up the ass yes. like honestly yesterday right there was a woman at the post office and it's a bank holiday weekend this weekend in england yeah. so monday the post office is is shut right yeah and you know i've been on this ebay this massive ebay kick so like i had to post something today otherwise it wouldn't have gotten in time so i went to the post office and like it's the smallest it's the post office that time forgot it's like the smallest (laughs) place in the world like you you can buy like a will on the shelf oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you can buy like a receipt book oh no just a typewriter like dust <laughs> yeah like, it's like really weird place and this woman was at the front of the queue and in my head i was like oh my god hurry the fuck up and i, I was like oh my god i just want to fucking like push her out of the way and i was just like i'm getting like re- i'm like that's unreasonable like she's just taking a while at the post office <laughs> And then, like, this person, like, I don't, like, I kind of indicated, like, a little bit late, but it wasn't, it wasn't, like, dangerous. Yeah. And this fucking cunt, like, beeped at me. And I was like, oh, my God, I hope you die. And I was like, that was a bit much. <laughs> I was like, like, maybe I've got, like, anger issues. I think, yeah, I think you just need some sleep, Talissa. Yeah. I think we all do. Is that reasonable? Yeah. <laughs> They beeped me a little bit and I was like, I hope I hope your car literally crashes. I was like, hmm, bit much. 
Maybe go home yeah. and have some tea or something if you feel that way. <laughs> Chill the fuck out, yeah. Christ. <laughs> Take a nap. Um, okay, so Any- anyway, anyway, at least I'm not this guy. Yeah, <laughs> he sounds like he would say that with no qualm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so his lawyers. Uh, asking that they don't give him the death penalty because apparently he had no prior criminal record. Moreover, only two of the murder victims, Richard Leone and Solomon Stern, were killed on March 15, 1989, after the federal death penalty law went into effect. So they're saying that the death penalty was just introduced, but those two people were killed before the death penalty, which... I don't think that matters at all. Just those two? Apparently, yeah. There's still five more yeah. that were after. <laughs> exactly. Clutching at straws, like, doesn't yeah. even cover, like, how they're doing here. <laughs> like- exactly. Uh, the four other murders took place earlier, so those counts carried maximum sentences of life in prison. So that's what his lawyers were asking for. Patera's aunt, sister-in-law, and two cousins testified on Patera's defense that he was a loving and caring family member, although Patera never took it the stand. It doesn't matter what you say. No. Imagine. <laughs> there's there's about 50 suitcases filled with human <laughs> remains. Dude, he, the... he's a nice guy. Like, it, it, that's not enough. Yeah. Oh, he brought cake to my you birthday last this back. year. It was great. Woman's Such a nice head guy. in freezer. Next to said birthday cake. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's a monster. Exactly. I know I keep mentioning this A&E documentary, which I'm going to look up the name of right now. It's called Mobsters, Tommy Karate Patera. And it's season three, episode Ooh. four on A&E. You can find it on okay. YouTube. I watched it on YouTube. But they have actual Ooh. footage of them... <gasps> digging up the bodies in the refuge no. place it's i was shocked that it was that on is. youtube like, all of it like i i always found it like um did you ever watch uh the west memphis three yeah at the beginning of that they fully show like yeah. dead bodies yeah. of the kids I know. and i'm like oh my god not ready for this like, i know you gotta get crime scene footage but a fucking heads up would have been nice right. like, <laughs> excuse the pun yeah, do what we do and say fast forward fifteen seconds if if you don't want to see this. Um, oh man, yeah, and the end of um, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane as well. Oh yeah, as a head, oh my, as a gosh. heads up, they show really fucking insanely graphic pictures of her. Oh, which I was not ready for. No, me neither. Really Can't stuck in it. my mind that one. It's horrible. Yeah, well, watch it on YouTube if you are interested in seeing that kind of stuff. On June 25th, 1992, Patera was convicted of murdering six people and supervising a massive drug dealing operation in Brooklyn. As the jury deliberated on what his sentence would be, whether it was the death penalty or life in prison, apparently Patera turned to a DEA agent and said, I bet you they don't have the balls to kill me. He was talking about the jury. Oh, you've fucking (laughs) smug prick i hope they kill you now well apparently they didn't have the balls to kill him no the death penalty was rejected and patera was sentenced to life in prison instead 
so that was Ugh. 1992. He was sent away to prison. He tried to appeal. It didn't work. It, he tried a couple of times. The last time was in 2012. But as of this year, 2021, Patera is serving life in prison at the Federal Correctional <gasps> Complex in Still Allenwood, alive. Pennsylvania. He had taken the code of silence and never spoken about or given away anyone else in the mob. So he's never talked, unlike nice. his pal Ganji. Nice. He currently has an Instagram yeah. account where he showcases and sells his art <gasps> that he draws from prison. Oh my god, I'm so looking that up. And that is the story of Tommy Karate Patera. And if you want to look up his Instagram, it's at Tommy Karate Patera Artwork. And each picture, <laughs> he's so, he must be so old as well. He, well, he's like sixty something. He was born in fifty nineteen fifty four, so he's like not even seventy oh, yet. Okay, yeah. But he he's drawn pictures of himself. He has self portraits. He has pictures of Tony Soprano, Marilyn Monroe, <gasps> Lizzie Borden. Oh my god! All my interests, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all three hundred and fifty dollars each. I will tell I don't you, want one. they're not good. He's not. Oh, good. okay. <laughs> I was. That was going to be my next question. Like, are they actually any good? No, not no. Shit. I don't think so. It's like what? It's like when you were in high school and you had art class, and like the best student in art class, them drawing Marilyn Monroe. I know exactly yes. what you mean. <laughs> Thank you've, you. Like you've <laughs> you've made that come across so fucking well. <laughs> Like, you know who it is. Yeah. Immediately. And everyone in high school is like, not. oh my God, that's so good. But then it also isn't. They're the best artists. Yes. Like, <laughs> that was me. I thought I was it. And I'm basically Tony Patero. Pencil drawings of Tony Soprano. That's me. Honestly, it really is. <laughs> Um, yeah, check out his Instagram. That's a great story. And yeah, that is the famous hitman, Tommy Karate Patera. I just love it. Tommy Karate. Um, hey, I'm Tommy Karate. Hey, I'm Tommy Karate. Hey, oh, hey, oh, he's hey, with the karate. Oh, hey. hey, he's with the karate. He kind of reminds me of like the Iceman. Yeah, I almost did him. Um, yeah, I've I've got I went down a bit of an Iceman hole as well recently. Yeah, uh, the guy who does Small Town Murder is obsessed with the Iceman. Oh, um, he's called what's he called? Richard Kaklinski. Yes, and he like he looks terrifying. By the way, oh, he is, and he he just doesn't mind killing people. Yeah, he would have been if he hadn't have met mob people. He just would have been a mass murderer. Mm. But he like just found he found someone who he was willing to pay him calling. for it, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why. Like people think hit people think of hitmen like oh they do it for a job. So no, you know, uh, like not this, not that it's not as bad, but like it's kind of not seen as as bad. You're just utilizing like, especially in the mob your, and stuff. You're being smart about it, I guess. I mean, like. Ted You're making Bundy a business and, out of your hobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Ted Bundy and uh, just name any other serial killer. They were stupid. All you got to do is walk into a mob bar and ask for a job and they'll protect you yeah. and help you do what you want to do. But Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, never killed a woman. Mm. Never in all the, all his time. Yeah. And he killed like over 100 people. Yeah. So it's just like, and that's one of the things in the mob, isn't it? Like, right. you don't kill women, you don't kill families. I like, think even that's in prison, another... there's like a code. 
Right. I think that's women, another... No, no um, women and children. A, another element of why Ganji uh, ratted him out because it was like, y- you just killed a woman and it was my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, that's not, not cool. cool. Yeah. No. Um. Okay. I'm getting comfy. All right. <sighs> right. So, as I said, I've been in like... I've been in a huge hole, yes. so yes. <laughs> this is like lay it on me, Talisa. So Let's I, hear it. <laughs> I'm doing the disappearance of Shelley Miscavige. Ooh, yeah. Yes, this is a so, good continuation um, from what we talked about last week. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, as like a quick, this isn't written down, but just as like a quick, like if you don't know about Scientology made up by a guy called L. Ron Hubbard, mm-hmm. who is from East Grinstead in England. Um, and he was a sci-fi writer and somehow managed to convince loads of people that this was a religion. When it really, it's just like a business, isn't it? Yeah. Like they make you pay to do courses that are going to teach you how to unlock your true potential. Right. And it kind of just stinks of the whole like Nexium cult, like yeah, for sure. kind of vibe. So anyway, uh, Michelle Diane Barnett, uh, that was her maiden name, mm. was born on January the 18th, 1961. Uh, but everybody just, she was called Michelle, but everyone just called her Shelley. So her mum, Mary, Mary Florence Flo Barnett, was a longtime Scientologist and she was married to Maurice Elliott Barnett. So I can't really find out much about them apart from her mum was a Scientologist. I don't know if her dad was really into it or it, sometimes like if you meet a Scientologist, you have to become one. Yeah. Like you can't you can't date outside of Scientology basically. Right. So um, he, I don't know if he was born one or if he became one, but so they had uh, Shelley. And in Scientology, um, children aren't considered to be children. Mm -hmm. They're just considered to be small adults. So basically their belief is that you have, your soul is like a thetan. That's their word for soul. And it's it's had like many lives before you and it'll have many lives after you. So it's not, it's not an age, which means like if you're a kid, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You just, your body is young, but your spirit is which is ridiculous. Still the same. Yeah, really, really fucking stupid. And just a way to get kids to do slave labor, basically. Yeah. Um, so and not have to from worry about of, teaching them or taking care of them, really. Or letting them have any fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. So from the age of 12, she was a member of the Commodore's Messenger Organization, um, the CMO, mm-hmm. which is a special division of the Sea Org, so the Sea Org is um, a division of Scientology where originally, like, they were actually out on a ship um, yeah. because L. Ron Hubbard was trying to get away from uh, the law because yeah. he was trying to be tax exempt. Yeah. And people in England, and I think in America at this point, um, had figured out that he's a bit of a, like, snake oil salesman. Yeah. And so he was like, if I'm in international water, Can't I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Yep. So he took a ship and he went into international water. Yeah. So that's why. Oh, and he used to be in the Navy as well. So he's just like carried over all of those traditions. But he, didn't and, he leave um, the Navy because in- he had a bad back? Apparently. Not really. 
Oh, really? Yeah, something oh, like that. Oh, I don't know that. Like he was in I mean, it, it seems for like, like something he six would do. months or something and then... Just like nope out of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it could be I fucked. I can't do this like... anymore. My back hurts. They're not doing it how I want to do it. <laughs> so, I'm going to make my own Navy. Yes. <laughs> with kids and Thetans. <laughs> so he makes his own Navy and he calls it the Sea Organization. So... The bit that uh, Shelley was in, the Commodore's messenger organization, and I hadn't known this before, but to me, this is super creepy. Like, it's just a load of young girls, mm. basically, from the I ages of like that. 12 to about 16. Yeah. Oh. And there's some boys, but the girl who they interview in um, the show, The Aftermath, mm. with Leah Remini, um, she's like, we were 16, but Shelley was only 12. Mm. But nobody really considers your age because everybody thinks like yeah. everyone's kind of the same age. Yeah. So you're all treated the same. Apparently, like Elrond Hubbard really took a liking to her. Oh. Which, again, it's not explicitly said, but it's implied. Yeah. And to me, it just seems a bit like noncy. Yeah. It seems like he was surrounded by young girls. And she also said it was like a, a three to one ratio of like girls to boys. Gross. Which, again, why would that be? the case right i don't get it so there was a sea org which was generally people on the ship and then there's the smaller group that he that l ron hubbard had handpicked mm. called the commodore's messenger organization that she was in and they the stuff the sort of stuff they would do for him would be like bringing him a chair or holding his ashtray like for oh him God. just like following him around with an ashtray <laughs> and like cleaning the entire ship like they were always cleaning yeah so in Shelley's eyes, L. Ron Hubbard was the closest thing that she had to a father because her mum and dad had just dropped her Aww. off there and left. Well, in Scientology, there's no such thing as a family, really. Right. Scientology is your family. Yeah. If you say you miss your parents or your parents say they miss you in a letter, like you get in trouble. Yeah. Because you shouldn't be wanting something else. You should be happy with where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. So... The ship was called the MV Apollo. This was in the 70s. So she was described as quiet, petite, and younger than most of the other, mes other messengers at the time. And a bit overshadowed by the older girls. So a guy called Jim Dilcalci, one of her shipmates, said that she was a sweet, innocent thing and she was just thrown into chaos. Mm. So she is in the Sea Org until she's 16. And she meets a fellow CMO member, David Miscavige. And this is in 1977. Yep. Everyone said that they were instantly matched and it was obvious that they were going to get together. How old was which he? they did end up... He was also 16. Oh, okay. So it's not it as creepy. It wasn't like creepy. Okay. Um, yeah, he was just a kid as well. And there's I saw a picture of him and he's got like a fucking mullet and a mustache. <laughs> like in the 70s. Of course like he did. Now he's like... Now he's like cleaner than clean. Yeah. He? He's like Mr. fucking clean shaven not one hair smart out of haircut, place scientology yeah yeah but he was like a hippie kid so he is five foot five tall and he had asthma as a child so i'm five foot five mm -hmm. five foot five is the average height for a woman mm -hmm. so he's a really short guy yeah which a lot of people say has something to do with the way that he acts i believe um, it yep me too so he was brought up in philadelphia and his family were also involved with Scientology since he was born. So he was born into it. And by the age of 12, he was conducting auditing sessions with adults. Wow. So 
that's fucking mad, isn't it? Like, you go into a Scientology centre and there's a 12-year-old with a couple of cans going, <laughs> hold these. Have you ever had any gay thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> like, you just feel What's like, what the, the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Yeah. Tell me now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and also, if you don't know what an auditing session is, it's basically where they use this machine called an e-meter, which is just a, a couple of cans yeah. with string on. <laughs> connect up to a thing that I think it just detects like your heartbeat and stress levels and sweat and yeah stuff, it's just right? like your pulse like it's it's kind of like a lie detector test except I'm sure but it's not sophisticated. nowhere sophisticated or accurate no also I watched the episode of South Park last night where they take the piss out of Scientology <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it before I don't think I I've seen like, it either oh it's really really good um yeah, so he is like balls deep in Scientology. Mm. Uh, so at 16, he dropped out of high school. And like all new Sea Org members, he signed a billion year contract. Of course. Of course he so, did. So yeah, that's what they make you do if you join the Sea Org. They say you're going to sign a billion year contract. We talked about this last week. Yeah. And as to why. Um, so at the age of 21, in December 1982, David Miscavige and Shelley Miscavige got married. Uh, so it said that it seemed like they were like deeply in love and like I they believe, were a good match. I believe and, it. Yeah, like they both rose through the ranks of Scientology together. So yeah. it seems like all all is well, basically. Yeah. Until shortly after this, sh- well, yeah, a lot of shit goes wrong. Um, Shelley's Shelley's mother Flo left Scientology and she took with her copies of the confidential upper upper level materials. Oh, so. Usually they say that like once you've done those bits of Scientology, you need to keep those books locked away in a cabinet that only you have the key to. Mm. And they're very strict about who can see them and because it costs so much money yes. to get to that level. Yeah. If you don't protect it, then what's the point in charging money for it? Right. So they are furious that she's left with these materials and with these, she joined David Mayo's Advanced Ability Center, which was a, which was an independent Scientology organization. Oh. So I didn't realize these existed, but some people have broken off and started their own Scientology, but like what? without the beatings and stuff, <laughs> without like, all the bad stuff. Yeah, they're basically like reading L. Ron Hubbard's books and being like, yeah, we believe all this stuff, but like we you don't have to work for hours and hours and you don't have to like do all this other stuff. Like and they don't like make you pay money and stuff. Or just sign like, a billion year treat- contract or yeah. have a freeloader yeah, so they Yeah, so they kind of treat it just like a normal religion. Yeah. And um obviously Scientology wants to stamp this out. Right. So Okay. Uh, they call people practicing Scientology outside of the official organization uh, squirrels. That's like their name for them. I don't know like why. <laughs> but that's just their nickname for okay. people who uh, who do that. And yeah, they're looked on very badly. So on September the 8th, 1985, Shelley's mother was 52 and she was found dead from a shot to the head from a Ruger rifle. She also had three gunshot wounds to the chest. One was a surface wound. One went through a breast implant. And one passed through her left lung and fractured a rib. Whoa. So, yeah, that's four shots, right? Yeah. And then the autopsy showed there were old wounds on her wrist from a, from a possible suicide attempt. Oh. 
that were probably like a couple of days old, they said. But then the death was ruled a suicide. What? How can Who you shoot themselves shoot fucking yourself four, four times, times in the head? Exactly. It's ridiculous. Unless so, you're a really, really bad shot. Man, that sounds uh, brutal. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it was a suicide. Let's no, just put it that way. <laughs> I mean, either. I think That's there's ridiculous. been some sort of backhand, backhand deal done with the uh, coroner yeah. on that one. So, David Miscavige uh, was reported to comment about his wife's mother's death. That bitch got what <gasps> she deserved. Whoa. Clearly not so a that's suicide. nice of you. Uh, yeah. So, David, this is like common knowledge, but David was said to have a hair trigger temper. Yeah. And he'd have uh, sudden outbursts of verbal and physical violence. Um, and according to several sources, at one point, he'd punched his own auditor. <laughs> so he's just Poor guy. fucking mental. <laughs> I know. <laughs> David, I'm just doing my job. Um, it's probably a 12-year-old. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so after the death of L. Ron Hubbard in 1987... David Miscavige became chairman of the board of Scientology's Religious Technology Center. Mm -hmm. So he's essentially L. Ron Hubbard now. Yeah. He is head of everything. But he's kind of like the Pope. Like, right. you know he's the head of it, but not many people see him. Yeah. He's not that involved. And Shelley became his official assistant. Assistant? Yeah, that's oh. her title. Okay. Assistant. Doesn't sound that great. I don't like that. <laughs> no. Um... Her role was extremely high profile, with some calling her the first lady of Scientology. There's some footage of her in public from September 2004, um, when she was with David Miscavige and Tom Cruise at the Ideal Org opening in Madrid. Mm. So some sort of Scientology opening. Okay. Um, it was at it was at that event that David, um, sorry, that Tom Cruise admitted to David that after breaking up with Penelope Cruise, he was looking for a new girlfriend. Mm. Shelley was like really involved with this and she dealt with a lot of celebrities and was closely involved with the indoctrination of Penelope Cruz so that she could marry Tom Cruise. Okay. So she made sure that she put her through something called the church's purification rundown program. Yeah. Uh, which is probably just like shitloads of auditing. It is. It's, it's kind of what Leah Remini had to go through when she had done this, you know, huge mistake of asking where Shelly was Asked questions she she had to go through yeah. the purification process whatever the fuck that means yeah. yeah so unfortunately the relationship between Penelope Cruz and Tom Cruise didn't last and so it was rumored that Shelly was helping Tom find another suitable girlfriend mm. so like there's rumors that they did aud auditions yeah for his girlfriend yeah. but they didn't tell the women what they were auditioning right. for which is so, what they talk about um, in going clear the documentary they talk about oh, a specific yeah? actress that i i don't think she had like she wasn't that well known but uh is she called nazanin boniardi yes, yes that was her yeah and they talk about her <laughs> yeah. in going, or are you gonna talk about her or not too much no oh okay they just say about you how she something like she went on this like lavish date with Tom Cruise and then he decided to take her away and they were going to have dinner with her and David Miscavige and Shelly. And then she got a migraine and 
she was like, I don't, I can't have dinner. Tom Cruise was so angry because he was going to have dinner with David Miscavige and Shelley. And this mm. woman just insulted him. And that was Lime the down. end of their relationship. <laughs> and she never got to speak to him again. And she didn't, she was like, I thought we were dating. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All I've got is an actress named Nazanin Boniardi was introduced to Cruise and dated him for a few months before mm-hmm. he broke off the relationship. Yeah. In January 2005, but that's brilliant. Yeah. I didn't know why he broke it off. Yeah. Because she had a headache. She had a headache. <laughs> that was it. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm glad she had a headache so and then, got out of it. Yeah, thank God. Then actress Katie Holmes began dating Tom Cruise in April 2005. Mm-hmm. As she was raised Catholic, she had to start studying Scientology. They got engaged uh, in June 2005, only seven weeks after meeting. Mm-hmm. Not a good idea. No. Um, Katie, I'm, <laughs> shortly sorry. After I'm this, sorry you went through this. She was young too. Oh, God. Yeah, I think so. Also, like, I cannot wait until, like, Tom Cruise dies and she just comes out and tells everything. And her daughter like, too, like... Surrey yeah. Cruise. She he doesn't see he doesn't see her. No. Tom Cruise doesn't see Surrey Cruise at all. Good. So she must Katie Holmes must have some pretty fucking good evidence yes. of him being a nutbag. Oh man. Otherwise, it would be shared custody. Katie, I am waiting. Like she must have I'm waiting for your yeah, podcast. I would I, I want that fucking court document. Yes. Um so Anyway, uh, shortly after this, yeah, she became pregnant with their daughter, Suri. Mm-hmm. As 2005 progressed, Valerie Haney, who was close friends with Shelley, and she's now Leah Remini's PA. Oh. Um, so her her and Mike Rinder both reported that the relationship between Dave and Shelley was becoming strained mm. as they lived at the international base known as the Gold Base. So Where's this that? is a 500 acre near Helmet near Hemet, California. Oh, okay. Is it close? I have no idea, but I feel like that's where uh Louis Theroux went when he tried to like get onto the grounds. Yeah, yeah okay. Mhm. Okay. So, yeah, it's a 500 acre international management compound near Hemet, California. And this is, yeah, so this would have been where Louis Theroux went because this is where David Miscavige had created the hole. Yes. Which is basically a prison mm-hmm. for people who he doesn't like. Some and pope. That's, yep. <laughs> that's where Mike Rinder was for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like three years, was it, or something? Wow. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like people are there for years and they just get beaten the shit out yeah. of by David Miscavige. And tr- they basically try and like reprogram you. Nuts. To not want to leave by like just breaking your spirit so brainwashing uh uh, yeah and abuse um and also shelly was apparently shelly was like quite a nice person like i believe it leah remini was really good friends with her they would like write letters back and forth to Mm. each other like actual letters yeah and um and sometimes like apparently shelly would write a letter and be like i'm so sorry i haven't answered sooner like please forgive me like she was just really sweet yeah basically she saw that david miscavige was starting to become really erratic okay and like just fucking attack physically attacking people for no reason so she took it upon herself to make a few changes and rearrange some job positions so that some people were less likely to be in contact with david miscavige 
because he he had like victimized them. Yeah. So she was she was like, I'm gonna move these people around so that they don't have to be near him all the time. Wonder what he was um, like with her though. And all Yeah, well, there's another there is a little bit of that. I got a little bit okay, of that in there. Okay. So so she also created up his belongings so that their a long planned renovation to their quarters could finally get going. So he was away while she was making all these job changes. Mm. And when he came when he came back he lost his temper with her oh, and man. returned to Los Angeles. Yikes. So, uh, um, on no- November the 18th, 2006, Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise were married mm-hmm. in a Scientologist ceremony at the 15th century castle, Bracciano, Italy. It was the Scientology event of the century. David Miscavige was Tom Cruise's best man. Tom Cruise, have you not got any other mates? No. Obviously not. That's so sad. <laughs> like... It's really sad. Honestly, what a crawly bum lick as well. Like, <laughs> well, they're both like, in each other's pockets. Like, he, David Miscavige needs Tom Cruise, just like Tom Cruise needs David Miscavige. They, they both need. They each are other. so, they are so gaying it off together. <laughs> like, they are so gay together. Oh, Swear to God. Man. Anyway, that's what's going on. I reckon it's all going to come out. It won't, it's going to be one big it. mess, Rachel. I believe it. As you said in your story last week, actress Leah Remini was asked to invite as many celebrities as she could, including Jennifer Lopez, mm-hmm. who I found out through the podcast. Her father is a Scientologist, but she isn't. That's good. And yeah, usually you would have to cut off all contact yeah. with somebody who isn't a Scientologist. So if you're if you're a Scientologist and your daughter isn't, you cut her out right, of your life right. and you don't speak to her. Yeah. Uh, obviously, if your daughter's Jennifer Lopez, yeah. the fucking rules are a bit different, exactly. I suppose. And she can come to Tom Cruise's wedding. Yes. So She's a superstar, um, so obviously all bets are off. Yeah, do whatever you want, yeah. apparently. But one person who was notably absent was Shelley Miscavige. Mm-hmm. This was in 2006. And then in 2007, her dad died at the age of 77. Aww. And since her abs so she's got no parents anymore which is worth noting because they could ask questions about her right or confirm her whereabouts or whatever so since her absence from the wedding there was um intrigue and speculation as to where she could be leah remini said that every time she asked about shelly she got the runaround with various excuses like she's on a project or visiting a sick relative right those who had known Shelley and are now left Scientology reported that there was an incident. So I watched this last night, right? So they were at the Gold Center and there's a massive vault there mm-hmm. for some reason. Because I think basically the whole point of that place is to preserve the works of Ron L. Ron Hubbard for future The precious worlds. works of another yeah. man. So they man. literally... Yeah, so they literally like have carved them into like fucking oh my god some sort of stone that can't be destroyed by gold, anything like it's platinum gold plutonium. yeah all that kind of shit yep yep and there's a um a, a Scientology promotion video that details all everything that they've done oh to preserve god. these words did you so watch it that's where they are yep <laughs> it's on the aftermath it's like episode. It's on the episode, like, nine, Where oh, is Shelley? Oh, yes, one. I remember that. I do remember that. Um, so, basically, the guy, I can't remember his name, but um, 
he was at the gold center mm-hmm. with Shelley and David. And um, David was like standing next to a vault and he said, Shelley, where did we put the gold? Where did we bury the gold? And she's like, what gold? <laughs> like she had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. And then she later confided to the colleague that witnessed it. She was like, I think David is losing it. Yeah. And that was all that was said. But because Scientologists are encouraged to report on one another for infractions, like it wasn't mentioned again ever. Right. Who would you report it to? Because who's above David Miscavige? David Miscavige. Yeah, there's no one. So she, like, I think they both thought shit, like, we've said that. Let's just never mention it again. So um, it's the Simpson, like, melting back into the bush. Yeah, exactly. Where have we buried the gold? (laughs) Melt back into the bush. So multiple sources have alleged that she disappeared from the gold base uh, after she filled all the jobs without uh, David Miscavige's permission. Mm -hmm. In July 2012, responding to press accounts of speculation on her whereabouts, Scientologist lawyers who represented her informed two UK newspapers that she is not missing and devotes her time to the work of the Church of Scientology. Well, then where? Exactly. None of your business, apparently. Yeah. So in, two, in 2013, after more than 30 years in Scientology, and after years of punishment for asking where Shelley was, Leah publicly left Scientology and filed a yes. missing persons report with the, with the LAPD. Yeah. Um, they came back and said that they had located Shelley and that she was fine. And Where? that was it. They wouldn't say anything else. Again, not saying. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, so the LAPD declined to answer any questions about the details of the report. They were paid off. Yeah, pretty much. Lawrence Wright, who's a journalist who's written a lot about Scientology, um, reports that former Sea Org members say that she's being held under guard at the gold base. Um, Ex Scientologists believe this to be true. And that that she was then exiled to one of the several secretive and highly guarded bases that the church owns in remote Western locations. There, uh, sources say that that those who have been banned, which is like another like word for you know too much, so we can't yeah let you go. But you're gonna we also we're gonna you, keep eye you're on not you. into this anymore. Yeah, yeah. So they just endure lives of isolation, menial labor. And uh, like just yeah, just like breaking rocks basically. So Vanity Fair wrote an article about her whereabouts, and the church representative representative called their questions ludicrous and offensive. Additionally, the representative described Shelley Miscavige as a private person who has been working nonstop in the church as she always has. According to the podcast Fair Game, episode 13, which is a Q&A with Mike Rinder and Leah Remini, this is the most common question they get asked, like, where is Shelley Miscavige? Mm. They have no update, but their latest information is that she is being kept in a centre called CST, which is the Church of Spiritual Technology, which is the organisation to archive for all time the works of L. Ron Hubbard. And that is in Arrowhead, California, San Bernardino County. Oh, that's not far. Um, on top of a hill near the ski area, Rim of the World is the name of the town. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll go there when you yeah. come. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, we're going to find her. Um, <laughs> so the 
the place she's being held has two fences apart from one another and the only house near is owned by Scientology and guarded by security that they hire. Uh, there's some rumours that she's in the hole. So Leah Remini um, says they're constantly asked, could Shelley be in the hole? And they say no, because the hole is located at the base where Shelley was taken away from. Oh. And we have eyewitnesses uh, that the people in the hole Haven't from 2005 her. to 2016 and there Shelley's not there. Okay. So, so Valerie Heaney, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. who worked directly for them and is now Leah's assistant. The last time that she saw Shelley was in 2007 and she was being taken away um, from the place where the hole is in a black SUV and was crying but was trying to hide it. Oh, Shelley. So, yeah. Mike Rinder said that he's known Shelley since she was 12 and is very sad and hopes she's okay. But he believes she's so brainwashed and controlled that she probably doesn't even want to leave. Mm. And it's also been discussed that as she has had such a close relationship with L. Ron Hubbard, she believes in the prophecy that he will return and is waiting for him. Mm. So basically, he says, you have your life. Yeah. So they're, they're still building houses for his return. Yeah. He was meant to come back 21, like you're meant to have a break of 21 years when you die and then you come back as another person. Yeah. So they're still waiting for this like prophet of L. Ron Hubbard to arrive. The uh, Celebrity Center has a room that they make the bed every day for him, like with fresh sheets, fluffed up pillows, like the room is cleaned every day, ready for L. Ron Hubbard's return. Yeah, and Shelley apparently truly believes that that's going to happen. Apparently. So, apparently. Yeah. He's about 10 years late at present. <laughs> so, <laughs> she has not been seen for 13 years wow. at this time in public. Oh, no, that's not, no. What is it now? 2021. Mm-hmm. 14 years then she's not been seen for. Wow. And Shelley. that is the story of Shelley Miscavige. Good job. There was some stuff in there that I had no idea about. I told you, Rachel, that hole. <laughs> I am in there. So well deep. Done. Um, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, but I'm it's, ready it's to been close fucking, this book on Scientology. It's been a fucking. <laughs> I really have. It's been a fucking trip, though. Yeah. Like the every time i think i'm done and there's no more mad shit there's i can find so out about scientologists more. there's so much more you it's like turning over a paving slab and seeing like a million more wood lice just going ah. can you just tell me you sent me a screenshot the other day of somebody who got blood drawn and it had something to do with scientology do you remember? Mm, yeah. It's because it's because my friend Ada knows that I'm down this hole right now. <laughs> and she was like, I've got something for you uh, that's Scientology hole related. It's so crazy. Um, and I was like, okay. And then I sent it to you. So basically it was on Twitter. Yeah. Somebody called Kelly Turnbull. I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but they say uh, Scientologists using an endocrinology clinic. What's that? Anyway, so Scientologists using an endocrinology clinic as a front for a recruitment center stole my blood. When I went in to find out if I had thyroid cancer and I still don't know what they did with it. (laughs) So endocrinologists, they diagnose and treat conditions like diabetes, 
thyroid diseases and infertility, growth issues. So it's basically like... Uh, Anything to do with stuff you can find out from your blood, I guess. Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's true. So, and then he... And then, then somebody said, like, how did you know that yeah. it was Scientology? Like, how did you find that out? And they say, um, they took my blood and never called me back. So that's so dangerous. Yeah. So after about... After about a month, I went looking for their number to contact them and found out that they had been paying Yelp to suppress negative <gasps> reviews and that they were outing them as Scientology recruiters. That's nuts. It's just fucking... It's like that. It's like when you say, like, oh, come to a free acting class. Yep. Psych, it's Scientology. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's also... What else? It's completely preying on the vulnerable. Like, you're going in to find out if you have thyroid cancer. What? You're I'd not... be chasing that up too. <laughs> You're not thinking about whether your blood is being taken by some cult member at all. You're just like, I want to find out if I'm going to die. Also, those die. people are not qualified. No. Like, they are not qualified in anything apart from scrubbing floors. Yeah. Like, um. also... I was watching like the first episode of the aftermath. Like, I think it's series. They're on series three now. Mm -hmm. um, but they were talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses, and this woman on there, a Jehovah's Witness, said that she fucking used to go through the obituaries and find out if someone had recently died, so that she could go to their house no. because she knew that they would be vulnerable. Oh. Oh, that's horrible how bad is that that's totally what like, scientologists do though i totally see uh, that i can't fucking believe it what like, kind of person are you how brainwashed uh, do you have to be or how, like what are you thinking that's so cruel it is uh, yeah it's just anyway so if you want to get down that hole <laughs> and never come out again <laughs> like me then Come down with me down here. Yes. It's really weird. Join us. Join us in Join the us. hole. Join us. <laughs> oh, there's a fucking crackers. The, there's, this is completely not related, but it kind of is. There's another podcast that I listen to and they do say that. They're like, join us in the pit. You've, you've arrived in the pit if you are... If you watch yeah. this certain show and you you know all the lingo for it and stuff. Oh my god. I did it with lobotomies as well. I went down the lobotomy hole for ages. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. My brother does it every year with 9-11. Like, <laughs> just... Because obviously every year, like, they bring out memorial yeah. shows and stuff or, like, remind you of what happened and you're just like, oh yeah. And then you just start digging into all the details like, <laughs> oh god. What's wrong with us? I don't know. I haven't been down There's a hole no for time a while. To I that. think I'm due for a hole <laughs> jump soon. What should I yeah. jump into? Let me know. I almost went into Iceman, but then Scientology sucked me in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Iceman's half dug. Maybe I'll do like a like... Patreon episode where I go down just a random... It doesn't even have to do with like murder or true crime. It's just we any should... old hole. I think a good idea for Patreon episodes is to just like put subjects in a hat and shake it yes. about and then just pick one yes. and be like, right, this is the hole you're going down. Yeah. Like, we'll do that. Okay. Aliens. <laughs> okay. Oh, I don't uh, want that one. <laughs> um, Survivalists. Um, uh, what else? Some, some weird uh, stuff. 
a- astral Nazis. projection. That's probably the last hole I went down. Astral projection. Astral projection. I don't even know what that is. Well, I guess I'll go down the hole again and I'll talk to you about it for our Patreon episode. I'll drag some stuff out. <laughs> okay, mate. All right. I'm about to fall asleep. Me so too. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks for All listening. Right. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>